what if, what if I just look up at least once in a while? What, what if I just look up? David writes a song thousands of years ago. The heavens declare the glory of God. He says, when I consider the heavens, the, the crazy, amazing heavens and the stars and all that, what, what are we as human beings that God, that you even think about us? And God, well, guys, when he wrote that a few thousand years ago, they didn't have the benefit of the telescopes and the science and the astronomy and all that that we have here today. And I want you to know today we're doing this on purpose, keeping it a little dimmer in the house. Hopefully, if you want to write some things down, you can get your iPhone out and turn the light on and write things down if you want to. There won't be a lot of fill-in-the-blank kind of stuff today. This is more not about application, but about inspiration. Heard a guy named Louis Giglio several years ago, probably 20, 25 years ago, do a message similar to this, read his books, listened to guys like Tim Keller and Mark Clark and those kind of guys. So kind of put all this together today that what if, here's the big what if. What if God is unfathomably big and you and I are ridiculously small, like almost like pathetically small. I don't want to call you pathetic today because you came to church on a Sunday after time change, but uh, yeah, it says in the beginning. Our, bo- our, our book starts, the first three words are what? In the beginning, God. God exists outside of time and space. God sh- God's there in the beginning. Before space existed, before time existed, before anything existed, I don't know what existed, if whatever, God, God created the heavens and the earth. And when God spoke, it says, there's a verse there that says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, people sometimes wonder, well, how, how did that all happen? Nobody was there. People write confidently, both Christians and atheists, of what happened when it was there. None of us were there. But when God spoke, I can guarantee you this, there was a big bang. And guys, you know, the big bang thing is not so much a, a product of atheistic or, or science that believes in evolution. The big bang, you know where it came from? Christian theism. The idea the universe wasn't just eternal and just whatever, is there was nothing. And then God went, spoke, and there was a big bang. And, and the universe starts, and God says, let there be light. We see the lights out in the sky. You, you look around here, and because we have ambient lighting and all that stuff, some of you guys have gone camping, right, at places where there's no ambient light out there and no smog. You look up there and go, dang, the sky is filled with stars. Well, we see maybe 20 of them around here in our sky because of that. Um, and we, we have the songs, right? Our, we teach our kids that what's the first one of the first songs they sing, right? Twinkle, twinkle. Little star, <laughs> little star, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Uh, how I wonder where you are. Guys, it takes us, um, d- light, when God said, let there be light, he spoke and light went <laughs> out and light began. Uh, and, and when light starts, we're going to do some scientific work today, but science is going to be inspiration today, not just information. Some of you are going to love this, some of you are going to be, oh, whatever. It's, it's beautiful, it's amazing. When God spoke and light begins, you know how fast light travels? The four of you pay attention in science. 186,000 miles a... I thought that can't be right. 
I kept looking at my notes as we go, wait. I thought, okay, okay 186,000 miles a minute would be crazy ridiculous. An hour would be like, whoa, 186,000 miles a second. Everybody do this right now. Go one, one. Right now, the, earth, the light went around the earth seven times. That's how fast light is traveling. I'm telling you all this because we're talking about space today, and we need to figure out how big space is. Our yardstick, our miles, for those of you from across the pond or other places where you haven't caught up with the American way of doing measuring, <laughs> kilometer, kilometers, miles, you can't use it. It just doesn't work. So they came up with this idea of what they did was how fast, it go, 186,000 miles a second, how far would light travel, not in a second, but in a year? And in order to have some kind of measuring stick for how big space is, they had to go 186,000 miles a second times 60 seconds in a minute, times 60 minutes in an hour, times 24 hours in a day, times 365 days a year. It comes out, I'll do the math for you. 5.88 trillion miles in a year is how far light goes. That's, that's our yardstick for measuring space. Those of you that are 60 years old and plus in the house, I'm not going to make you raise your hands. We know who you are. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Uh, those of us that are younger than that, those of you that are younger than that, this first image won't mean much to you. That's our planet. That's Earth. And we've seen it so often now. Can you imagine a time where nobody had seen that? And when the first Apollo expeditions went out there and they were taking pictures and sending it back, people were stuck. Stunned. The earth is just hanging out there in space. And I'm going to spare you the science of how fast we're spinning and how long it takes to get around that. But we travel around something in our little solar system that we have here called the sun. The sun is a star. And we go, oh, the sun. It's, you look right when you see the sun and the sun sets, you go, oh, that just gives me peace in my soul. The sun sets and it's beautiful, especially there's clouds in the sky and that kind of year. It's beautiful. And fantastic. That's the sun. It's a raging ball of nuclear disaster. It's a good thing that we are 93 million miles away. Any closer, it would us. Any farther away, it would, we would freeze. 93 million miles away. The sun that you saw when you got out of your cars today and you looked up, that actually happened eight minutes ago. That's how long it took the sun that went boom and shone because it took eight minutes to get here. Um, here's another great picture of the sun, because it's Halloween-ish. That wasn't a Photoshopped image. It's like somebody got the jack-o'-lantern up there. That's our sun out there at one point. Somebody got that picture. If the earth, wait, stop for a second. Those of you that are wearing shoes right now that have little um, treads on them, not flat shoes, just pick, look it up, cross your leg here, and in there there's probably a little piece of a fleck of sand or something, right? Probably have that there if you want to do that. Or just imagine right now, a fleck of sand. A sand on the beach, just a fleck of sand. If, if the earth was the sign of a, a fleck of sand, the sun would be about the size of a pool ball. You know how many earths we can fit inside of our sun? 1.3 million earths fit inside the sun. You know what I'm trying to tell you right now is we think we're awesome, we think we're huge, we're fantastic. 
we are, we are really small, guys, and we're just getting started on how pathetically, ridiculously, infinitesimally small we really, really are. One of the first uh, telescopes years and years ago, a thing called Voyager 1, they sent out into space to get images and pictures and send it back wirelessly, crazy, back to the Earth. And we got some pure, pretty spectacular images. Uh, the Voyager 1 got sent out. Um, it got sent out to the edge of our solar system, you know, which is Mer the Sun, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. You know how big our solar system is in miles? Nobody knows? 3.7 billion miles. It's not even one light year. 3.7 billion miles. But it left our planet, and as it was going out there, taking all kinds of pictures, of beautiful stuff, as it got to the edge of our system, and we're going to lose contact, they instructed Voyager 1 to turn around on February 14, 1990. Turn around, and, and, they, and they had the ability to okay, aim it towards Earth, just to see what we'd see, because we'd seen the pictures of the Earth, this big, beautiful, majestic planet up there. And this is the picture that came back. You look at that and go, well, that's the picture like back when we had film. Those of you that are my age know we used to have film where we developed pictures. Um, you got those back from Walmart or CVS and you go, oh, not that one. That, that was just a bad one. The thumb was over it out there. But guys, they got a picture of the earth from about three billion miles away. That little pale blue dot. Do you feel small yet? We're just getting started. So we, we, we kind of zoom out now from there and go, okay, where we live, our home, no, not our home, our, our home is like the solar system. Our, our, uh, our development, say like, you know, Red Hawk and Paseo do Sol that we have here in town, places like that, our development in the universe is the Milky Way galaxy. It's right there. Pretty spectacular. The Milky Way galaxy is what they believe it looks like, and they've got images and things like that. Um, the, the Milky Way galaxy is 130,000 light years across. That's a 754 with 15 zeros after it. You know what number that is? Neither do I. It's a kajillion. There's some technical thing. When you do some of these calculations on a computer, even the super scientific ones, you know what you get? 754 plus E because they have no, they, we can't comprehend how big, how, how, how large this is. In our galaxy, right there, there are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy. If we were to go up here and go, okay, sorry, I'm going to walk out of the camera for those of you watching online, I'll be right back. Go up here and start counting. One, two, three, four, five. You know how long it would take us to count 500 billion stars if we counted one star per second? Anyone want to guess? 2,500 years. Before Jesus was born, if we started counting Milky Way galaxy stars, we'd still not be there yet. If, okay, and here's, you look at that galaxy and go, okay, so, okay, our solar system and the Milky Way galaxy, and we're kind of the, we're awesome, we're fantastic, our solar system's amazing, you think, Okay, where do you find us? And don't put the screen up yet. Don't put it where, there yet. You say, okay, maybe you're like somewhere in the, in the middle there where like everything's spinning around, all that kind of thing. You wouldn't want to be in the middle of that. We, would, we wouldn't exist if we were in the middle of it. You know where we are in here in the galaxy? Right? There. You know what that yellow arrow is pointing at? 
It's pointing at our solar system, and our solar system doesn't even show up. We are really, really small. If the earth was the size of that grain of sand, again, your earth, the size of a grain of sand, the Milky Way galaxy's diameter would be 29 million miles wide. Our galaxy, our little development that we live in here, called the Milky Way galaxy, grain of sand, you have to go 14 and a half million miles in either direction to get to the edge of our galaxy. If we make a scale model of the Milky Way galaxy, because sometimes the numbers, I go, I need pictures, I need stuff like that. So imagine right now, the United States of America, okay, California, over to the East Coast, up to South Dakota, down to Texas, where, just United States of America. If that is the Milky Way galaxy, if we can make a scale model of it and go, Milky Way galaxy is North America, you know where you find our solar system? Anybody got a quarter? We're a quarter in the middle of North America, our solar system. Now take your finger right now and look at it. Everybody has fingerprints, right? Little ridges on your finger. I know you can't really see them very much, so just want to. In there, if you look at there, okay, about the size of a quarter here, you know where you'd find the sun? You might find the sun between one of the little ridges on your finger in the middle of North America for our galaxy. You know where you find the Earth? We don't even show up. In North America, that's the scale model. We are, we are really, really, really small. Uh, so far, we, we have not got to the edge of the universe so far. If you were here last night, don't give away the answer. How many, we, we live in one galaxy. We're not the only galaxy out there. Those of you who paid attention in science, the four or five of you that did that. Um, no, there's way more galaxies than just our Milky Way galaxy. How many galaxies would you guess that are out there in the universe? A lot? A million? Okay, a hundred million. A billion. Man, a billion. A, billion's a, a billion is a thousand million. That's big. Two trillion galaxies they've seen so far. Two trillion galaxies in our universe. And our little Milky Way galaxy is kind of a, eh, compared to a lot of them. It's not a big one or a low, it's just, it's just kind of there. One of the two trillion galaxies out there, and again, we haven't seen to the edge of the universe yet. We have no idea with all of our sophistication yet to see it, but the, the, the observable universe so far is 94 billion light years across. Do the math with me. 94 billion, how many, how, how many, how many, billion, that's nine zeros, right? Yeah, 94 billion times 5.8 trillion, because one light year is 5.8 trillion. You, the number you come up with is <laughs> 564 with 21 zeros after it. And that's, we haven't got, we don't even know where it, we, we, we don't even know if we've got to the edge, of, we, we haven't got to the edge of it yet. It's what we've seen so far. I think God looks at us and goes, makes this universe and goes, oh, you're going to see some stuff someday, guys. You're going to read the Bible in the 21st century and go, dang, David had no idea what he's talking about when he said the universe declares the glory of God. 
if our solar system, if our solar system that's about 4 billion miles wide is a fleck of sand now, so imagine our 4, 4, 4 billion miles compressed down to a fleck of sand, the observable universe compared to our solar system, not the earth, but our solar system, would be 23 million miles in diameter. The observable universe so far. I don't know about you, but uh, we live in a world right now where everybody's telling us, your kids are living there, your teachers are doing a great job of this. Probably some good things in this, because some of us grew up in places where you're a kid, shut up and be quiet. Now it's like, kids, you're awesome, you're beautiful, you're amazing. We talk about, you know, snowflakes, skills, unicorns, whatever you are. You're just so beautiful and fantastic, and everybody's a winner. Everybody's, everybody and everything's awesome. Awesome has kind of lost its ability to capture for us what awesome really, really means. Um, we, we have out there in our culture, not the kids out there, this is some of you, some of me. I've seen the t-shirts, I've seen the bumper stickers, I see your social media feeds. Say things like this. We are lions, not sheep. We are lions, not sheep. And the worship leader of our generation is Katy Perry with the song, You're Gonna Hear Me Roar. And I don't think that's so much bad as it's just kind of silly. I think God looks at it and goes, really, dude? You. You, you think you're that awesome. You think you're that fantastic. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 says it this way. To whom will you compare me? And the answer there is not somebody in the background going, oh, I know. The answer is, who else measures the universe between his fingers? Again, God doesn't have fingers. He's not a human being. It's an anthropomorphism, kind of giving human characteristics in language so we can understand some things. Remember how big the universe is? 564 with 21 zeros after it, we've seen so far. God goes, about that. And we have the great songs from our culture. They're there in scriptures and uh, different cultures has this song called He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. And we used to think that meant the earth, which would be, that would be a big deal, right? 564 kajillion billion bobillion miles. Right here. Holds it, holds it in the palm of his hand. In Isaiah 44, 6 to 8, says, Who is like me? Who is like me? And the answer is, <laughs> no one. I do think it's kind of interesting from time to time when you start getting an idea how big God is and how small we are. People go, well, When I get to heaven someday, I'm going to go in there and ask some questions for God. I'm going, Oh, pal. Really? You really here to walk up to a guy who holds the billions of this like this and goes, mm, mm, in his hand like this, who spoke that into existence. And you're going to do that. It just creates some humility. That's why David says in Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the sun, the, everything, when I consider the stars, and we have a different way to consider the stars today, don't we, because of telescopes and science and all that. He says, what are we as humans that you even think about us? How would, it doesn't even make 
any sense. And again, what if God is really big and you and I are really, really small? I know some of you are sitting here today going, well, I was already feeling bad about myself, Steve. I already feeling, I'm feeling like a nothing, like a loser. And you're telling me, yeah, you're not even close yet. <laughs> you know, you're trying to make me feel like a loser, trying to make me feel small today. And I want to tell you, hold on. I'm not trying to make you feel small today. I'm really not trying to make you feel small today. What I'm trying to say here today is you are small. You just are. And when that happens, there can be a sense of embracing this idea of I'm insignificant in the big scheme of things, but here's the crazy part of this. You can be significantly insignificant because you have a God. You have a God who is for you, a God who wants a relationship with you, a God who's coming for you. A, that, a God that big, that fantastic, that, that incomprehensible is for you, but he's not about you. We sometimes think God's all about us and God's running around going, okay, how do I make him happy? And oh gosh, like, oh gosh, I'm a little insecure right now, so how do I make Ed and Paula? How do I, how do I help Mike down here? How do I help them with their problems? Because I've I got some issues and I wish they would worship me more and thank me more. God is, you know who God's about? God's not about you. You know who God's about? God. And you look at that and go, well, that's kind of weird. God's about God? Isn't that kind of like stuck up and egotistical? Well, it would be if you were you and all about you. Who else is God going to be all about? Who's greater? There's no one else you can go, well, I'm going to go look up to that person. There's no one else to look up to. So what God is all about is all about himself. And here's what's crazy about this, guys. This universe we live in right now, as big as it is right now, the scientists, people who study stuff like crazy, uh, believe, we haven't actually seen it yet, believe that there has to be, there has to be life somewhere else out in the universe. Because our universe, shoot, our galaxy itself, one of two trillion galaxies, it's way too big for if human life is the point of it. If human existence is the point of the universe, that, that can't be it. But what if human existence isn't the point of the universe? What if, what if God's the point of the universe? And what if God said, I want to show you how amazing I am, and I know you're going to keep inventing stuff that's going to see farther and look grander and all that, so I want you to get this. As you get all sophisticated and all, build all kinds of cities, you're going to invent stuff that's going to see stuff. You're going to go dang, I am really, really, really small. God is, I think the reason God makes the universe, I think God likes to show off. When he says the heavens declare the glory of God, he goes, I want you guys to get how crazy, amazing, beautiful, fantastic I am. And so we're going to take a little trip right now outside of our system, outside of our solar system, some other imagery that will come up here on the screen. Uh, we go out 444 light years out to a, a constellation of stars called Pleiades. Those are the basic stars of the Pleiades constellation, not a galaxy, constellation. The Bible talks about the Orion and the Pleiades galaxy. You can find it in your Bibles. They had seen this back then when they looked at the stars, their instruments even back then, they'd seen these stars out there 444 light years away. But they're not very far away in the big scheme of things, you know, with hundreds of billions, kajillions. So you go a little farther out. If we go a little farther out, we go 7,600 light years out, we get, come to a thing called a nebulae. This is called the Carina Nebulae. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's fantastic. It's beautiful up there. You look at that, and you go, what's a nebulae? I don't have the scientific definition for you. Here's what it is. It's a place where stars are born. Now, you have a baby, and you think that's traumatic and explosive and whatever. Imagine 
186,000 miles of life compressed down and exploding into existence. That's where stars are born. Go a little further out. Go out to a place called Andromeda. The Andromeda uh, uh, galaxy. There is out there spinning in space. Andromeda is two and a half million light years away. It's 152,000 light years across. You keep going out, 2.5 is still not very far. We get to 28 million light years, and we get the Sombrero Galaxy. Guess why they call it a sombrero? Isn't that awesome? It's out there spinning in space, huge galaxy. And then they come up with cool names. I think there's some people that are believers or philosophers because they don't just come up with technical science names. There's one called the Grand Design Galaxy. It's a spiral galaxy, they call it. This Grand Design, and they've watched this and seen some things over here. What's happening over here is a new galaxy is being birthed over here in the upper right, and maybe we'll at some point go together and a whole new galaxy will explode. The reason this has to be so far away from us is it would evaporate us. People all the time say, I, want, I wish I was there at creation when God spoke things into existence. I go, no, you don't. 186,000 miles a second with hundreds of billions of stars going like that, you'd be, you wouldn't even be dust on the floor. You just wouldn't, wouldn't be there at all. Um, we talked about the, uh, the, the Voyager 1 telescope that would study space. Many years ago, they had came up with something, some of you paid attention to this, the Hubble telescope. And it sent back images like, dang, those are amazing. And, and don't put it up on the screen quite yet, but the Hubble telescope, it got images, and it looked farther out into space we'd ever seen with some amazing things. But it would look out there, it would zoom in as far as it could go, and it got out there four or 500 million light years. It could do that. Crazy, right? It could look out there and see that out there, and it looked out there and just, well, there's nothing there. As far as we could zoom and figure nothing there. And then a while back, a guy named James T. Webb, they put another, together another telescope, which is even more powerful. And they aimed the James T. Webb telescope at the same exact space that Hubble looked at, so there's nothing there. And you go, man, look at all the stars out there. Guys, you know, those aren't stars. Those are all galaxies. Hundreds of thousands of light years apart, hundreds of thousands of light years wide, 500 billion stars in all of them, trillions of galaxies with billions and billions of stars. And when we, this happens to us, one of the things the Bible is going to tell us over and over again that's good for us is we need to learn to fear God. And when you hear stuff like this, you go, oh, we should be very afraid. A God that has that in his existence, that spoke that into existence, makes me go, oh, it's humility and proper fear of God should be there. There's a great verse in Isaiah that I came across this week. I want you to see it. Isaiah 8, 13 and 14, be up here on the screen. It says, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. We get all that right, and then it says, he will keep you safe. Don't you love that? Because here's what I want. I want a God who can handle himself in the ring. When you, a God, when you got a God like that, you got a God who can handle himself out there, he scares me a little bit. I don't know if you saw that video years ago about the little baby bear on the, I just thought about it now, I should have made the, sorry guys, little baby bear being chased down by a leopard, hunting him down, the baby bear's kind of floating out in this little thing out in the middle of the river and just uh, freaking out and this leopard's coming out. All of a sudden, you watch the leopard just walk awake and the baby goes, and what the leopard, what the baby bear doesn't see is that behind the baby bear 
It's mama bear. <laughs> Baby bear has no ability to handle that herself or himself. But there's mama bear. Mama bear's going to take care of some business. That's the God you have. He's a God who's powerful and terrifying, keeps you safe. Psalm chapter 2 has a great little verse that says, Rejoice with trembling. We cannot be too casual and flippant with God. Neither we can be so like, oh my God, he's terrifying and we should just freak out and just run away as fast as we can. He wants both of those things to, to be together. And, and so don't put this next one up quite yet, guys, back in the back. But um, there's another son in our universe. And it's, it's a beautiful, it's stunning, spectacular uh, the scientists, because they used to like to use sometimes kind of cool names for things, not just X number, 47.5, they call this, they call this sun uh, the bright and morning star. The creator of the universe comes into our fleck of a speck of a planet and lives the perfect life that we're supposed to live, dies the perfect, dies the death that, that takes care of our sin, rises back again from death. He takes on real flesh and real blood to, to do that. And when he comes here, though, guys, here's what's crazy about this. We oftentimes, you know, it's Christmas is going to be here, what, and like, whenever. It's coming. We see little baby Jesus in the manger, right? Go, oh, look at baby Jesus in the manger. Look at that. God became a little baby, precious baby in the manger. We haven't gone far enough yet. Think about this for a second. The infinite creator of the universe who holds the universe like this, who spoke time and space and order into existence and says he holds all of that crazy energy and power. He holds it together, not by running around going, oh gosh, we've got to fix this. He just goes, I got it. 2,000 years ago, this is what that creator became. That's a one-day-old little embryo. It's, somebody told me last night, the, the, a human egg, the human egg is three, one, three ten thousandths of an inch. When, it, when everything happens there, it becomes the embryo. It's probably one to two one-hundredths of an inch. So inch like this, inch. Divide that up into 100 spaces. The creator of the universe is right there. Guys, and when you get this, here's what's so amazing. Certainly there's, oh, we freak out and wonder what's going on with all this kind of thing. Oh, he became a human being. And you know why he does it? He does it because he loves us. Amen. And he wants a relationship with us. This would be like you wanting a relationship with a roly-poly bug. I was going to say cockroach, but you'd be offended by that. <laughs> and not even that. It would be like the, it'd be like the, the microorganisms that grow inside the digestive tract of the roly-poly bug. God wants a relationship with that. You would want a relationship with that. That's crazy. And he speaks himself into our world, lives that life because he loves us. He tells us, too, in, in the scriptures that he knows the stars by name as he calls them out one by one, by one, by one, by one. Think about that, 500 billion times two trillion. Some of you younger folks have crazy weird names for your kids. I bet God's got weirder ones and cooler ones. 
that many stars out there he's giving names to. He knows you by name and he's inviting you to a relationship with him. And when, when, when you get this, that God's really big and I'm really small, but he wants to know me, look at me, and not just know, okay, all the people out there, I got six bit of my other name, bam, 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 bam. He says, no, he knows the details of your life. It tells us that he says, man, I know the number of hairs on your head. Shut up, it's not that funny. Um, <laughs> which means, it says, when a little sparrow falls to the ground, God sees that. He says, and I know the intimate details of your life, the crazy love of that big, majestic, powerful God. We get that kind of love coming for you. It should stun you into saying, I'm in. I don't get it all yet. I understand all that. But if a God would do that for me, massive God speaking universe into existence, and when the human beings have said, go away and leave us alone, and God did it, and they paid the penalty, paid the price for our sin by becoming one of us. If you're not a Christian yet today, we'd love to talk to you about what that means. Grant, had you fill out that connection card? If you have questions about what it means to follow Christ and get to know this God, put that down there. We'd love to talk to you about what that means. It also, though, when you do this, when you embrace how big God is and that we're significantly insignificant, you know what you also do? Worship. Now, we think worship. When you think worship, the first thing that comes to our mind is singing and music. And it certainly is that, but it's way more than that. What worship says, worship says is someone or something is going to be central to my life. There's this idea out there that's out there in the world, and it's, it's well-intentioned. This little thing that says the, the I am second campaign, God is first and I am second. Any of you heard of that? Pal, you're not second. You might be one millionth, kajillionth on the whole list in terms of like God first and I'm just right below there. See, if you got a piece of paper out today, and a piece of paper, okay, I'm gonna make a list of the priorities of my life. Okay, here's my paper, here's my life, God. Okay, okay, I'm gonna be a good Christian. God, first. Okay, and then, okay, my family, and then, okay, then my money and, and career and all this kind of stuff. Guys, God is not an item on your priority list on that paper. God's the paper you write the list on. Amen. We always tell you here, God's central, not first. Because if God's just first for you, you can do that checklist and then move on to the rest of your life there's not an area of your life that God's not totally involved in when you get the fact <laughs> that he looks down and he sees everything you kind of got that it's also going to give you a chance to when we embrace the love of God that we worship God uh, it also means too that we, we don't need to be afraid we don't need to be afraid Psalm 27 verse 1 says it this way the Lord is my light. Don't you love that? Not the Lord is my rock. The Lord, the Lord is my light and my salvation. <laughs> Whom then will I fear? And if God is just some little guy with a beard on a throne up there eight billion miles away, that's like, okay, who am I going to be afraid? When you get how big and massive God is, and he's on your side, he's for you, not against you, what are you going to be afraid of? Romans 8. 31 to 39 says it this way. If God is for us, universe like this, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us 
whom God has chosen for his own. No one. Who then will condemn us? Christ Jesus died for us. The only one who could condemn us would have been Christ. Died for us, raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor in the throne of God, not out there going, well, I saved him, <laughs> pleading for us, loving us, going, God, I, I, I get what it needs to be human and forgiving our sins and, and just beautiful and, and amazing. It's, he says, can anything ever separa- separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity, you feel that though, right? Trouble and calamity comes to you. Is God paying attention? Does He care? Does mean, trouble, does, if we're persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death, He says no. Despite all, all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And he says, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Nothing in all creation can separate from you. When you get, that's the God who calls you to come to him. It's not like, well, do I have to become a Christian to get something? Man, you just come running to that, and you don't have to be afraid anymore. Because think about it. What are they going to do to you? Everything that comes to you is either caused by God, allowed by God, and he's got you. And then I love it too. Uh, Hebrews. Hebrews uh, chapter 4. Hebrews 4 says it this way. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we're accountable. Bam, that's awesome. So then, since we have a great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, Son of God, let's hold firmly what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. This unspoken, great, uncaused cause of the universe became us. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God to receive what we need in times of need. Now, guys, whenever the Bible talks about the throne of God before here, you know what you saw with the throne of God or the glory of God, the, this holds the universe like this in his hands? You, you know what you see? Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. Let me see it. And God goes, you're a fool, man. You could not see my glory and live. He puts him behind a rock in a cave and says, turn your face away. And as you go, he says, let my glory pass, not my full presence, just a bit of my glory pass before you. Moses came out of that and his whole, he was glowing, not looking at God directly, but seeing a reflection off of a rock, off of a cave, off of a wall, glowing like that. Ezekiel chapter one tells this great thing about, it says Ezekiel saw the vision of the glory of God, the presence of God, and these crazy gargantuan creatures and thunder and smoke and lightning and like almost like, it's crazy. If you read Ezekiel sometime, it's a crazy book, almost like flying saucers, these wheels within wheels that are gargantuan and amazing. Ezekiel said, I was terrified when I saw the glory, not just of, not even of God, but of these gargantuan, crazy, mythological, angel-like creatures that surround who God is, stunned and amazed by it. Isaiah chapter 6, he says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he saw these crazy creatures. 
And he says, in the train of his robe, building the temple, everything was shaking and trembling. He says, and when I saw that, I fell down and it, I thought I was dead. I fell down dead. Now God resuscitates him. Maybe he just passed out. We don't know. He about killed me. Revelation, 1,700 years or so after Isaiah happens, where Isaiah sees the throne room of God, uh, John is given a vision of the throne room of God. He says, I looked there and I saw God on a throne. I saw these crazy creatures. It was, it was like a nuclear fireworks show going on in there. Every, the whole heavens and earth were shaking and trembling in the presence and the glory of God. In chapter 1, he says this. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and God showed up there on that island. I turned around to see him, and when I saw him, I fell down like I was dead. Now, these aren't like lame Christians like you and me. These are guys that are going to write the Bible that are seeing this, and it about kills them. And I see that and think, well, if I come to God, I got to come with, okay, 564 kajillion billion miles, and you hold it like this, and you're, uh, I don't know what to do about this. Because of what Jesus did. You know what he says we get to do now? We get to come boldly into the God's presence. You know what that means? You don't come outside and go, oh, Dad, could I please come in? Throne room of God. You have that kind of relationship with God today. God is really big and you're really small and yet he loves you so much he invites you to a relationship and says you can come up close and personal to me. That is, you will not sleep well at night tonight if you think about that, the greatness of that God. Our band's gonna come up right now. Some just quick closing thoughts as they get the, the stuff here together and ready um, for this. God's got you. If he can hold the universe in his hand, you think he can probably hold you too? Which means, I don't know what your problems are today. Financial, marital, kids, health. There, there's a lot of things going on right now that you come carrying in until you think, whatever. Can you just get right now? God's got you. And look at me. This doesn't mean that if God's got you means, well, he's going to and make it all go better. He's like, I got you no matter what you go through. I'll get you through this. Even if it's awful, even if it's scary, even if it's terrifying. Because the world out there will do this. When you go, God's got me right now. He holds the universe together in the palm of his hand. He's got me. You may have some things in your own heart and soul today that you are weighing on your heart and soul. Our prayer team is back in the back right there. I would encourage you to go boldly back there. Talk to Jesus about that stuff. Talk to the creator of the universe with them back there. If you've got stuff that you need prayer for today. We're going to sing some songs today. We're going to worship God today. And all worship is, it's an expression of the fact that God, you are everything in my life. You are the paper that I write my life on. You are the center of everything. So we're going to sing. And we're going to sing like we mean it. We're going to sing songs about how great is our God. We can't sing how great is our God going, how great is our God. What's the score of the game? (laughs) You can't, I mean... If you do that, you've just, uh, I'd be nice right now. I'm going to sing and we'll give you a chance to come and receive communion. It's bread and juice symbolizing what happened, that our great God who speaks light and billions, quadrillions of space into existence and holds it together came down here 
with flesh and blood and hung on a cross to make it possible for pathetically insignificant, nothing people to come back to a relationship with him. God loving you says nothing about how awesome you are. God loving you says everything about how awesome he is. So Jesus, today, as we sing, as we pray, as we remember God, my prayer today is you would just inspire our hearts with something that lasts far beyond what we'll just do in the next few minutes here. And we're so glad. Glad's not even a good word. Grateful's not even a good word. We have no adjectives or adverbs to describe the joy, how amazing it is, what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do for us. What could I say? 